Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. We're excited that even in the midst of a pandemic, Jesus hasn't stopped rescuing sinners. The mission is still the same. It just looks a whole lot different these days as we figure out how to be the church uh, in ways that we haven't done well in the past. My name's Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here. It's uh, usually I would say it's my privilege to be up here preaching with you, but you know, we're going to talk gospel and politics. So... I'm sure you're ready for the conversation, but um, me, not so much. Um, round two, gospel and the politics. You ready? Yeah? No? You seem as enthusiastic about the conversation as I am. Uh, if you were here last weekend, Dr. Randy Smith, a good friend of ours, uh, came to kind of get this conversation started and get it kicked off the ground. He kind of took the plane uh, off the ground, put it in the air, and confession, uh, I don't plan to land the plane this weekend. Uh, we're probably going to leave the plane up in the air for the next couple of weeks, uh, and ultimately we're going to land the plane on Sunday, November 1st, right before election. Uh, here's the deal. We're having this conversation on the gospel and on politics uh, because we know that in this divisive season, uh, somebody is going to disciple you, uh, either the world uh, or you're going to be discipled by God's word and God's heart. And I'm grateful for Pastor Randy. He took a little bit of the weight off of our shoulders last weekend when he made it really clear that those of us who are going to get up on the stage over these next couple of weekends, we are not here to tell you who to vote for. We are not here to advocate for your candidate or your views or your opinions or your judgments. Truth be told, when we confuse our judgments with God's, our judgments usually end up being idols. And so we are here to help you and challenge you and ourselves, because this, this is difficult stuff in these days. We're, we're here to challenge all of us to rethink our politics, to think about how we're thinking about our politics, and to, to do exactly what Randy challenged us to do last week, to never, ever, ever forget that for those of us who are in Christ, we are ultimately citizens of a heavenly kingdom before we are citizens of a fallen world. And so that's why we're having this conversation, to help you to think through all of these divisive issues that we are facing on our social media and in the public square. Uh, we want to challenge you to think about them biblically, to think about them Christianly. Uh, and to that end, I want to I invite you back on a Wednesday night to Facebook at 8 p.m. Here's, here's the deal. There's no way that we're going to possibly say all the things that we want to say about this topic on a Sunday morning. And so we are going to intentionally drive this conversation to Wednesday nights where it's not just us preaching and teaching at you, but we're inviting you uh, to come and to bring your thoughts and your questions and your opinions and your rebukes and your critiques so that we can talk back and forth in real time. Uh, Dustin and I, we're going to be inviting some, excuse me, friends from around the country 
who we believe are going to bring meaningful contributions to these different conversations on Wednesday night. This past, or this current Wednesday night, we're going to be inviting a friend named Pastor Chris Gonzalez. He's a pastor of Missio Day Church in Phoenix. He's a professor of the Missional Training Center there in Arizona, and he's going to help us to think through applying the gospel to our politics and to the story of God. And so please, Wednesday night, 8 p.m., you ain't got nothing better going on, unless you're in bed. Uh, But if not, you can stay up. Listen, I know y'all stayed up for them train wrecks of debates, so y'all can stay up a little bit later to join us on Wednesday night, 8 p.m. All right, you ready? Genesis 1, you can start moving in, your, moving in that direction uh, in your Bible. Here's the deal. Um, we like to just teach the Bible here. We love to teach through books of the Bible. Uh, unfortunately, this series is going to limit some of that uh, because we're, we're talking about a specific concept and a theme and an idea. And so let me just confess that uh, this morning. We won't get to as much scripture as I want to, but don't worry. We will as this series continues to go on. This morning, I get to talk about, uh, about politics and the story of God. I want to give us a big picture view of the story of God, politics and the story of God. One of those is central. One of those is not. One of those is to be supreme. And the other one is to be subordinate to that other one. In in other words, it's kind of like that. The story of God is greater than our politics. Uh, Unfortunately, that doesn't help us very much if we don't know how to think about politics. If we don't know how to define even what politics are, what do politics mean? We know it's big. We know it's important. We know it's on the cover of every magazine and it's eating up all of our Facebook and social media feeds. We know we need to get our arms around it. It has to do with elections and governing and divisive issues. But what is it? Pastor Dustin and I and all of our pastors, we're reading lots of books. We're listening to lots of people who are smarter than us. And there's a lot of them. So there's a lot of listening to be doing in these days. And I came across a couple of definitions that might help. Politics. Here. Here's a definition. Politics are the total complex of relations between people living in a society. Complex is a really good word when we think about politics, isn't it? The total complex of relations between people living in a society. Here's another helpful definition. Politics is the body of science that relates to governing and the governing affairs of people. The body of science that relates to governing and the governing affairs of people. People. So when we talk about politics, we're ultimately talking about people, first and foremost. And we're talking about societies, the places in which we live, and the rules and the laws and the governing and the being governed that goes into all of that complex relationship. See, typically when we think about politics, we think about uh, congressmen and councilwomen and school boards and voting booths. And that's all part of this political idea, but there's a much bigger story. Truth is, the story of politics revolves around how each of us arrange our days and our lives and our relationships and our neighborhoods and our nations so that, you ready? So that we can ultimately get what we want most out of life. Let me say that again. The story of politics is about how each of us arrange our lives so that we can ultimately get what we want most out of life. In other words, 
Politics is ultimately about our worship. Politics is ultimately about our worship. I'm going to unpack that statement as we go along this morning, but I need you to see that that's why this topic and this conversation is so divisive and so emotionally charged and for many of us so alienating because it's wrapped up in the things our hearts want most. Politics is ultimately about our worship. There's two big ideas that I want to present this morning. The first idea we're going to unpack this morning. The second idea, Wednesday night, Facebook Live, 8 p.m., you got to come back. And you're going to need to come back because this is important connection. First idea is this. Here it is. If we're not careful, our politics will function as the story of God over our lives instead of fitting into the story of God. If we're not careful, our politics, our system of beliefs politically, the political platforms we ascribe to will function as the overarching story in our lives, and it must not. Our politics must fit into the story of God, not function as the story of God. Why is that the case? Second point and second big idea, Wednesday night, Facebook Live, 8 p.m., is that every political vision Every political ideology, every political party offers us a story of redemption, but will ultimately fail to deliver on the goods. Every political vision offers us a story of redemption, a rescue, a promise of deliverance, but it will ultimately fail to deliver. Let's talk about the story of God. This isn't new news for those of us who call GBC home. We've talked about the story of God before. Of course, that was before the pandemic, and I don't know about you, but I don't remember anything before the pandemic happened, so we need to kind of rehash this a little bit. Now, here's the idea behind the story of God and stories in general. We believe that stories are the language of the world. Everybody loves a good story, right? Everybody loves a really good story movie, and to a degree, many of us who love stories, we live in stories. Think of some of your favorite movies for a second, how they draw us in, so much so that we begin to feel what the characters feel. Their pain becomes our pain. Their victory is our victory. It's why we can't help weeping at the end of a great story or a great book, because we have so identified with the story in which we are reading. Stories are also one of the chief ways in which we share our stories with other people. Uh, For instance, you come across somebody you haven't seen in a while. It's not going to be long before we start sharing stories. Oh, gosh, let me tell you, the other day, Cora Jane was outside, and all of a sudden, you want to know what happened to Cora, don't you? See, 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 stories are important. We all share our stories with other people. We live and we breathe stories. Can you remember the last time you finished a great movie or a great book, and you just kind of sat there stunned for a moment, and you kind of needed to process it? You wanted to discuss some of the deeper meanings. That's that's what good storytellers do. For example, my wife's not here so I can say this and not get in trouble. And we're not recording this one, I, I hope. The other night, my wife finished a book that she had been gasping her way through. I don't know if anybody else gasps when they read books, but every time she gasps, she's inviting me to ask her, hey, what happened? Of course, I I know better than that because I'm going to end up getting like the synopsis of that whole chapter and like the two or three chapters before it. But the other night, she finished the book. It's 11 o'clock at night, by the way. I'm the only one in the room, so I'm kind of stuck. But she finished the book, and I could tell that she was just brimming with tension. 
And she just needed somebody, anybody to talk to about this book. And so being the good husband, of course, I leaned over and I said, so how was it, y'all? I got a character sketch on everybody in the book, okay? I got the rising action, the falling action, all the plot holes, how she was wrestling with some ethical dilemma that happened in the book between two people that I'd never met. And finally, I'm like, I tapped out. I'm like, babe, you got to stop. It's like midnight right now. But here's the deal. Like good storytellers, they know how to draw us in so much so that we keep pondering the beauty and the majesty of that story. Now, why is this important? Because every person you're going to ever encounter, every community you enter into, every culture you engage with has a dominant story that, that lives over and above their lives. And that dominant story has lots of little stories. And even beneath those little stories, every single person within that culture is living their own story. And here's the deal. The dominant story is the story that is most important, that's most compelling, that, that is the controlling factor for how people perceive the world, how they perceive God, how they perceive themselves, how they perceive other people. Some call this idea a worldview because it is in many ways how we view the world, the lens through which we receive and process information, how we engage in relationships and how we make decisions. And this is why this morning I wanna talk about how politics attempts to function as the dominant story, as the story of God in our lives, and it cannot, it must not. Now, it's not too difficult to discover somebody's dominant story just ask him a couple of questions. The late great apologist, Ravi Zacharias, he had some really good questions to ask people. He calls them the four fundamental questions. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Where'd we come from? Origin. Meaning, what is life all about? Morality, who gets to tell us what's right and what's wrong? And destiny, where are we going? Where are we gonna end up? What happens after we die? You know, just the big existential questions of life, no big deal. No, here's the deal. As Christians, we understand that there is one dominant story that every other story will ultimately find their place in and finally be complete because of. It's the story of God. It is history. It is his story. It is God's story. And we believe that the story of God, the story, the true story that God has told and is telling and will continue to tell is where every other story finds its beginning and finds its ending. It ultimately is corrected and makes sense of every other story. And every one of our stories needs to fit into God's story. And we all have a story we all have experiences that we've lived and hopes and dreams and aspirations and failures and fears and uncertainties and anxieties. And all of our stories, we believe and are convinced they find meaning and purpose and value in the story of God. We believe that the story of God has four different acts, four different scenes, four different movements. If you think of a stage play, creation, God made it. Rebellion, we broke it. Redemption, Jesus came to fix it. New creation, Jesus promised to come again to make all things new. Creation, rebellion, redemption, new creation. 
confession. I'm not going to be able to hit every part of the story of God this morning. And that's not my goal. My goal is to show you how politics fits into the story of God, but tries to masquerade as the story of God in our lives. Let's talk creation. Let's talk about the first part of the story of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. We often start the story of God in Genesis 3, you know, where sin entered into the story and everything got mixed up and messed up and broken. Problem is, we're not the center of the story. Man and his needs are not the center of the story of God. God and his glory is the center of the story. And so we begin Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God, the one true God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit, and a community of fearless lovers. In the beginning, God existed. And what did God do? In the beginning, God created Genesis 1, verse 1. What did he create? Everything. A world that was perfectly capable of bringing about perfect human flourishing. God created everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, the birds, the bees, and the trees. The Arctic and the atmosphere. The mountain ranges and the rolling meadows. God created it all. And then he slowed down. And he got his hands in the dirt, Genesis 2 tells us. And he made humanity. Us. Our first father, our first mother, Adam and Eve. And of all of creation, we're the only things said to have been created in the very image of God. Talk about incredible, lasting value and significance. God imprinted his nature and his character upon us. He gave us inherent worth and value. The invisible God made a visible representation so that we, his image bearers, might image what he is like to the world and to creation at large. We were created in the very image of God. And after God created everything, he called it good. Why? Because it was an extension of himself and he is good. Look at Genesis 1.28. God gave humanity authority to bear fruit and to multiply. God created humanity to not only be in a meaningful relationship with him, but to be in a subordinate relationship to him. God gave us authority, Adam and Eve, authority to bear fruit, to multiply, to govern the earth and to steward the resources of creation. Humanity only ever knew authority within the context of God giving authority and how significant it was that God had tasked humanity with helping to shape the creation that God had made to make it distinctly human and to help it flourish. This church is political work of the highest order. Remember, politics are all about structuring society and creating boundaries and order. God called Adam and Eve to bring structure to govern justly, to care passionately, to take dominion and to steward creation and to develop all of the capacities and energies and potentials of human nature and physical creation. Why? So that they might build a civilization that lives to the glory of the one true God. We could call this the politics of the garden. Stewards of creation with hearts that lived for the fame and the glory of God. The politics of the garden are all about worship. Worship of the one true God. 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, the first article of the Westminster Catechism tells us. And here in the very first story, or the first act of the story of God, creation, it shows us that the one who is creator, God, gives meaning and purpose to all that exists. And he is the one for whom all exists. Guys, we are not self-made men and self-made women. We don't determine our own meaning and our own purpose. No, we derive that from the one who created us in his very image. We belong to God and we owe gratitude to God for every breath, for every moment, for everything. And because humans were built for God, our greatest purpose is to glorify him, to worship him. And Adam and Eve, from the very beginning, within the politics of the garden, they worshiped the one true God through living within his rule and being obedient to his commands. Now, if you reject this as your origin story, your dominant story, your creation story, if you reject this as your understanding, as our collective beginning as a humanity, then then meaning and purpose and destiny and duty, it is left up to some other source. And the second act in the story of God calls that source self. Let me show you what I mean. God's good creation ultimately fell into sin through rebellion. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. God told the man and the woman, what? Don't eat from a specific tree in a specific part of the garden or else you will surely die. It's talking about spiritual death, immediate and abundant, completely cut off from the life of God. See, God gave humanity a one rule world and into this one rule world came the serpent, the devil, the enemy, the father of lies. And he came to the woman with the lie that they were not truly alive unless they ate from the tree that God said no to. If the politics of the garden began with hearts seeking after the fame and the glory of God, then the politics of the fall began with hearts seeking after our own fame and our own glory. See, self-worship entered into the story of God when sin entered into the human story. And Adam and Eve, man, they felt enticed when the serpent told them that they could be like God but they forgot that they were already like God. How like the enemy to try to convince us to become something that we already are. It's the same lie he's been spewing ever since that day in the garden. And this will preach to you, oh Christian man or woman, stop trying to become something that you already are. Forgiven. Righteous holy and blameless and beyond reproach. I'm not saying that about you. I know some of you, but that's what God is saying about us. By virtue of our union with Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for us, in us, and is doing through us, God calls us saints, holy, righteous, blameless, beyond reproach, being loved children of the most high God. This is who we are. And the enemy, the Nahash, The whisperer is still whispering the lie, no, you're not. No, you're not. And if the enemy can get you to believe that you are not who God says you are, guess what? He will give you little G God after little G God after little G God to begin to try to fill those gaps in your life. 
Adam and Eve believed the lie. And so they grabbed the fruit and they ate and sin entered into the story and it wreaked havoc upon havoc upon havoc. And here's the deal, folks. We can trace every broken relationship back to this moment, every heart-rending event, every sinful, selfish, evil act back to this moment. This is why the story of God is the true story over all of our lives because every one of us has an origin creation chapter in our story and all of us has a rebellion chapter where sin entered and the the wheels fell off and we went running and looking for some false savior, some redemption story, something to validate our lives and justify our existence. Some of us bow our knee and recognize that Jesus is the true redeemer. Some of us are still grabbing and trying to drink from broken cisterns to validate our existence and justify our righteousness. Politics comes to play in this story. So, so what happened? Let's, let's keep our eyes here on the big picture. Adam and Eve, they believed the lie. They reached for the fruit. They ate. Sin entered into the story. You know what Adam did next? Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. He called a press conference so he could blame God and he could blame the woman that God gave him. He walked up to the mic. Is this thing on? Hey, God, you know this is all your fault, right? Like, see, what happened was it was this woman that you gave me, and she caused me to sin, and she gave me the fruit, and can't you see that this is your fault, God? What was going on here was that Adam was putting a crooked crown on his head, and he was declaring himself Lord of his ring, and he was saying, no, 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 God, this is your fault, and as a result, I will go ahead and call the shots from here on out Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the story. Our rebellion, the fall of humanity, this is where blame entered into the story. This is where brokenness entered into the story. This is where, this is where hiding from God came into the story. This is where manipulation came into the story. This is where our relationships were fractured, all from this rebellion. The problem was unbelief. The action was sin, and the result was death, spiritual death, entirely and completely cut off from the life of God. This was our rebellion. And this is frankly why each and every one of us showed up on this planet dead, dead in our sins and our trespasses. Why? Because each and every one of us showed up as children of Adam, sons and daughters of Adam. We inherited his spiritual DNA, dead in our sins and trespasses. Folks, being a sinner is more about being in a state of spiritual separation from God than it does doing sinful acts. That's why we've talked a lot about, about Christian maturity here at GBC being not about behaving better, it's about believing better. And to the degree that we believe that because of the work of Jesus Christ, an old man has been put to death and we have been raised to walk in a brand new life. It's why salvation is talked about being born again, becoming a new creation. Jesus couldn't fix your old, broken, self, selfish, sinful you. He had to put it to death. That's what Romans 6, Colossians 3, Galatians 2 teaches. God crucified you in Christ and he raised you to new life. 
But that doesn't mean that we don't still grabbing, we don't still grab for all of those little G gods in our lives. Here's the deal. I I need you to not lose sight of the bigger conversation. Let me connect this story of God and bring it to bear on the politics of the fall in which we all live. We're talking politics in the story of God here. And I need you to see that worship and rule, they go hand in hand. Worship and authority, they go together because the one who is most worthy of worship possesses the right to rule, that's God. But sin begins with the desire in our hearts to be worshiped like God and it leads us to grab the reins from God and to take the steering wheel from God. No no wonder politics is such a battleground because it puts all of our fractured hearts on display, working towards what we want most, what we value most. This is why I said earlier this morning that we are all worshipers. Whether you fancy yourself religious or not, We are all worshipers, and we will all try to worship something, whether the one true God or any number of little G gods that offer us some measure of satisfaction and significance and value and purpose. Let me me draw this idea out a bit more, connecting politics and our worship together. Remember, politics is all about how we arrange our lives, how we structure our society so that we can get what we want most out of life. And how do we know what we want most out of life? Why is a good question to ask. I came across this good example. If someone were to tell you that they were having oatmeal for breakfast, you might ask them, why? Why are you having oatmeal for breakfast? And they might respond, well, to be healthy. And you might ask, well, why do you want to be healthy? You might follow up, to which they may respond, so that I can work hard. Uh Uh-huh. And why do you want to work hard? By now they're getting annoyed with you, and they may say, "Uh, so that I can get what I want. Okay, well, why do you want to get what you want? So that I can be happy and feel fulfilled. To which, of course, you would ask, well, why do you think that's going to make you happy and ultimately make you feel fulfilled? I know, I know. It sounds a lot like my three-year-old right now. Why, 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 why? But I need you to see that if you keep asking a person why, eventually you're going to hit a backstop in which there is nothing on the other side of a backstop, something immovable with nothing behind it. And here, here at the backstop is where you're gonna find a person's little G gods, those things of ultimate devotion, the objects of their worship. We are all worshipers. And folks, this idea of a little G God, it's not just for those who don't serve God. It's as much a struggle for those who are committed Christians and Christ followers. One moment, we can be worshiping the one true God rightly, and in the very next moment, we can be worshiping the acceptance of our parents' approval. And then the God of fleshly desires in the very next moment. And then we can be worshiping the God of cultural acceptance, and then the God of hip and cool, and then the God of our skin color, the God of our favorite Super Bowl hero, the God of financial security, sexual fulfillment, personal ambition. I think you get the point. And since we were created for worship, We are by nature religious beings, and we must see the inextricable link between our worship and our politics, because we are by nature political beings as well. We are created in the image of God, and we are by nature designed to bring order. Why? Because we serve a God of design and order. I need you to see that our worship and our politics, they go hand in hand. Jonathan Lehman, 
He's an elder of a church in Capitol Hill, uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. It literally meets on the hill in D.C. He sees a lot of this battleground of politics. And he writes these words in a book called How the Nations Rage. Listen to this. Lehman writes, we see this idea at work when children play house and they offer each other various roles. You be the kid and I'll be the mom or the dad. He says, we hear this in their disputes over whether the ball rolled out of bounds or not. He writes, this is why even if we don't think that we're interested in politics, we are all deeply interested in politics. He continues to write, as kids, we all traded obedience for cookies, didn't we? And as adults, we leverage job choice and marital fights, clothing style and artistic pursuits, body type and skin color and national identity and gender stereotypes and insider social cues and rolling eyes and size and church attendance and friendships and automobile brand names, all to shape our little plots of dirt so that we can get our heart's desires. And he goes on to say, whenever we grab the levers of state power, we are doing the same thing. Because behind every Senate Judiciary Committee vote, every Supreme Court decision, every protester's picket lines, interest groups, press conference, and presidential veto is someone's basic worldview of how things should be. And behind that worldview is a God, either the one true God or a little G God that we have created in order to get what we want most. And this is true, folks. Whether what's up for debate is abortion or redefining traditional marriage or tax policy or immigration laws, you name it, the worship of something is driving that conversation. No one. No one separates their religion and their politics, their worship and their politics. This is why politics cannot ultimately function as the story of God over our lives, but it must fit into the story of God because none of us are operating out of the politics of the garden any longer. We are all operating out of the politics of the fall. But here's the good news, as I not land this plane, but leave it up in the air for the next couple of weeks. Here's the good news, folks. The politics of the fall, they don't have the final say for people who serve the one true king. The story of God did not start with a political story bound by sin and death, and it will not end with a political system bound by sin and death. For the politics of the new earth and the new heaven will be a place of joy and justice, not of fear and intimidation. The politics of the new earth and the new heavens will not be a place of oppression and injustice and exhaustion, but a place of peace and overwhelming security. The apostle John, he saw a vision of this eternity in the book of Revelation. And you know what he saw? It wasn't clouds, it wasn't harps, it wasn't some vague otherworldliness. He saw a king seated on the throne. He saw a renewed creation and he saw a people from every nation, every tribe and every tongue bowing low, offering their lives and worship to the one true king who is still seated on the throne even right now. And we have an opportunity, church, to enter into that song of worship right now. Which is why you have to come back Wednesday and hear the rest of this story because every political vision is offering you a savior. 
And it is offering you a redemptive story and a place of deliverance, but it will never be able to ultimately deliver on the goods. Because every political vision, every political ideology, every candidate and every platform, they only have a piece of the puzzle, a good and right piece that's worth praise and glory. But they can't give us the whole picture. Which is why, as Pastor Randy told us last week, we must never, ever, ever, ever become more comfortable living in this fallen and broken world when we are foreigners, exiles, strangers, aliens, citizens of a heavenly kingdom whose primary responsibility, primary responsibility is not to pull the levers of state power but it is to move in the direction of people with the good news of the gospel, even if they don't agree with us politically. May we become a people who see those that don't believe the same as we believe and not say, oh God, smite those sinners, but instead say, oh God, they just might be sheep without a shepherd. And may we not see those brothers and sisters across political aisles, whatever we ultimately believe, let us not make the litmus test become Jesus plus the right political affiliation. The Apostle Paul went to war against that in the book of Galatians, and I, I think he would go to war against that today. Jesus plus nothing. Here's the deal, folks. We want to challenge you to rethink your politics in this really divisive political season. That we would think more about how we're thinking about our politics. So that we as the church of Jesus Christ do not sideline our witness. We can't afford to sideline our witness. For the, the, we're the ones who only have the true understanding of the kingdom that is to come. Wednesday night, join us, 8 p.m., Facebook Live, so that we can further fill out this picture of why every political vision doesn't, can't offer us ultimate deliverance. We're praying for you in these days that you would spend, here it is, as much time in prayer as you spend on social media, as much time in prayer as you spend on whatever your news broadcast of choice is as much time on your face asking you, asking God to give you eyes to see people the way that he sees them so that you could love them the way that he loves them. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for the tension of politically divisive days. For this is the sound your voice is making, calling your church into intercession and prayer. Father, may we not miss the boat on this call to worship. Give us eyes to see, folks, the way you see them. Father, continue to convict us to do the work of exercising our constitutional right, but Father, we don't place our trust in horses and chariots. We don't place our trust in political machines. We place our trust in the king who wasn't voted in, who will never be voted out, and whom there is no contender for his throne. It's in the mighty and majestic name of Jesus, all God's people say.